Just a few seconds before 10 o'clock, and you are tuned to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with your host, Ron Beard, is up next. Good morning, and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities, to share what works, to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns began in 1993 with support from University of Maine Cooperative Extension. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine, and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Well, it seems like there's a can-do spirit evident in Maine communities, a sense that by working together we can solve complex problems to everyone's benefit. That spirit is alive and well on Mount Desert Island, where for the last two years a citizen's initiative called A Climate to Thrive is working to bring about energy independence. And we're delighted to have some folks in the studio who can help us with that, and we'll call out to um, at least one more later in the program. Welcome to Joe Blotnick. Joe is the coordinator of A Climate to Thrive. Hi, Ron. Thank you for having me on the show. And Joe is a, a longtime uh, colleague, or a long uh, colleague that goes back in time with Cooperative Extension. So I'm glad to reconnect with Joe. And with him is Gary Friedman. Gary is chair of the uh, Climate to Thrive Advisory Board, and he's also a town council member in Bar Harbor. Welcome to you, Gary. Well, thank you, Ron. It's great to be here this morning. And uh, so perhaps each of you could describe your uh, a little bit of your path to 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 come to a climate to thrive um uh, joe you've had an interesting career starting with cooperative extension um what led you to to come back to to maine and a climate to thrive right well thank you ron uh yes we lived in maine for 25 years and uh our kids eventually moved to new york city so we moved to uh western mass for uh about eight years or so but the environment has always been my passion uh and even with cooperative extension i worked on a lot of environmentally related things and of course mount desert island has always been one of my favorite places Mm. in the world and uh, when I saw that there was an opportunity to to become coordinator of a climate to thrive, which was a an effort that is so needed in this time, uh, I jumped at that chance and was fortunate enough to be able to join a climate to thrive. A climate to thrive is is uh, just a little over a year old and already has. Uh, upwards of 60 active volunteers doing all kinds of things that relate to uh, climate change. Mm. And it's, it's very exciting work. Gary, tell us a little bit about your, your work in the past and that, that led you to, to be interested in helping create a climate to thrive. Well, I've been on the town council now for over five years, and I've always had an interest in, in the environment. And uh, my wife and I were talking about what could we do locally to really get a handle on climate change. It seemed like such a, a, a big and, and um, in many ways hopeless issue. We thought we'd turn that on its head and come up with this idea that we could create a climate to thrive on MDI that would um, – our, our objective is to make the island energy independent in 15 years. That's 2030. And um, 
and that that would not only be good for the environment, but it would strengthen our communities, it would strengthen the economy, it would provide good paying jobs, it would keep those um, energy dollars on the island that we're um, currently exporting out of state, out of the country. And um, uh, we started with a a very simple um, task, which was to bring photovoltaic electricity to the town of Bar Harbor. Hmm. And in 2014, the council agreed to do a study of all of the town properties to determine which ones might have the best photovoltaic potential. We settled in after several months involving a COA senior who was doing a senior project to help us and, and, um, and working with Revision Energy on the public works site on the mm. Crooked Road. And that had vast solar potential, enough to both power the public works site itself and to provide a space for a community solar farm. And that process of, of then getting those approved by town meeting, where we had to bring out um, many people to, to vote to um, proceed with that project, is what uh, initiated the the group of citizens that eventually became a climate to thrive. Hmm. So um, at this point, um, you're focused on solar, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But um, it's actually six different committees that are working. But talk about the conference that brought them together that then branched out to these six different areas. In January last year, 2016, we um, we went from meetings around our kitchen table to the community and at the neighborhood house in Northeast Harbor launched this um, effort, um, which we we announced as a climate to thrive. And what we did was we had a a speaker from a town in in New Hampshire that um, had been working to make his town uh, less dependent on fossil fuels. And then we had six breakout groups that um, eventually became the six committees. um, And they are alternative energy, building efficiency, local foods, zero waste, transportation, and public policy. And um, we, had, uh, we had over 200 people come to that, that meeting. One thing we realized is that this was going to have to be fun. And so we had a, a free uh, supper and, and great music all provided by local folks. And, um, and it just generated a lot of good energy. Those six breakout groups now, um, as Joe said, have about 60 people uh, regularly meeting and working on projects in, in all of those areas. Mm. Joe, um, talk a little bit about um, the, the um, solar effort that, that's going on that's come out of the Alternative Energy mm-hmm. Group and, as one of the initiatives. Sure. Solarize uh, MDI is a program that is – the Solarize program is a program that's used all over the country, including in coastal Maine, in Freeport, in southern Maine, and, and uh, Massachusetts, everywhere. And the whole idea is it's a bulk purchasing system of of getting solar installed on many houses at once. And so we go through an RFP process, and uh, we just launched that on April 10th. And we uh, have a goal of doubling solar capacity on Mount Desert Island, you know, within a, a couple of years. And where and does it stand now? How many solar units or, or houses, for instance, are there now? Right. Uh, well, right now there's about 600 kilowatts of of solar capacity, electricity capacity, and we are our goal is to double that. Mm-hmm. But in the short term, our goal through Solarize this year by July 15th is to get 200 kilowatts of 
additional capacity. And we have homeowners, we have businesses, and even the Mount Desert Public Works Garage is just uh, signed on to this too. So we're it's not just for homeowners, it's for businesses. And there's a lot of great incentives for homeowners. We're able to bring the cost down an additional uh, 1000 to 1500 or more uh, on a solar system. And you have to keep in mind that solar is already 25% cheaper here than it was two years ago. Mm. And so it's a really great opportunity. The federal tax credit is still there. If you install solar this year, you will still get – you'll be grandfathered into the net – metering changes uh, that are going on at the Maine Public Utilities Commission uh, for 15 years. And so it's a really ripe time to to make that commitment. So you've been holding uh, co- kind of coffee hours and that sort of thing to interest people in sure. in uh, the solarized project, the bulk yeah. buying of, of solar equipment. What have been some of the questions that you've fielded? What are some of the um, concerns that people have about mm-hmm. um, making the investment in solar, do you suppose? Mm-hmm. Well, First of all, I think it's a mindset change. You know, if you're going to put a new kitchen in your house, you spend a whole lot of money that you didn't have. Mm-hmm. You have to borrow that money. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you think about your electric, it's just an electric bill. Well, you're going to be paying that bill for the next 15, 20, 30 years if you make no change. Mm-hmm. But with solar, you have to invest up front in that. And so that's a mindset change. But it, some of the questions that come up is, well, is this uh, a battery system? Is this something where I can be independent if the grid goes down? Uh, do I still get electricity? Uh, the reality uh, to that question is that these are grid-tied systems mm-hmm. right now because that's the best available technology. The batter, while solar panels have have increased their ability to produce solar energy so much in the past years, and the cost has come down so much. With the battery technology, that's lagging a little bit behind. And so right now is not the best time to do battery systems. It might be in in four or five years. But the systems that are being put in right now will be easily convertible to uh, a battery storage system. Mm -hmm. Gary, you've made this choice um, on your own. Um, uh, Tell us kind of your story and the economics that you've figured out in terms of your home. Well, um, actually, we put solar in at uh, Bar Harbor Community Farm, which my wife and I operate with a couple of partners in Bar Harbor. And uh, when we built our vegetable processing facility, basically a barn with an attached uh, seedling greenhouse, we really wanted to make it net zero. So um, we put in 33 solar panels. And that um, uh, we also, with that, put in heat pumps. So we, we heat our seedling greenhouse, our potting room, our, our whole um, uh, vegetable processing area, our hot water, our well, our lights, our walk-in cooler, everything's run off the sun. And um, we thought that we were doing really great in 2015 when we got a U.S. Department of Agriculture REAP grant, which provided 25% of the, the cost of that system. And that combined with um, the 30% federal tax credit and uh, the ability to depreciate that system for commercial purposes um, resulted in a payback that we're seeing that that's looking like it's going to be probably under seven years. Um, we were able to offset the use of propane, which was um, more expensive, uh, and use electricity instead, which which with heat pumps is very efficient. Um, we even have a little bit of excess uh, uh, kilowatt hours that we're using to run a, a plug-in hybrid vehicle right now. Um, what's what's exciting though is that, as Joe said, because the price of solar has come down twenty five percent in the last two years. 
anyone that goes into this now can look at it's like getting a, a reap grant and and um, with commercial systems look at a, a payback in the you know, depending on on what your energy mix was that you were using a, a payback of of as as much as six or seven years yeah and i'd like to add to that that that's a you know six or seven year payback or possibly a 10-year payback on on some on a system that's guaranteed uh, warranted to produce the same amount of power for 25 years and will probably last 30 or more years so mm. you know once that system's paid off you're generating free electricity mm. So that some of the questions are, um, you know, does, it, does it make sense for me in my home situation? Um, what's the analysis that goes into that, that process? How does an, an individual homeowner or a business owner um, um, make that decision? What kind of technical advice do, does Solarize uh, MDI provide for, for that homeowner or business owner? Right. Well, we're working with Revision Energy, whose job it is to get out there and, and analyze sites. And so, you know, we provide free site visits for them. The the initial step for residents and businesses on Mount Desert Island is to is to go to our website at climatethrive.org and look at a solar map that actually was produced by a COA student uh, that where you can go and you can put your address in, find your house, and look at these red and orange and yellow uh, blotches on there. Click on it, and it'll show you how many kilowatts of of solar energy that can provide. Uh, and that's the initial step. But they come and they put a you know high tech. Uh, camera on your roof and it it can look at the shading from that old oak tree that's you know sticking out there that probably ought to be removed anyway <laughs> you know? and uh, they can actually analyze and size the system so that the gain the, the extra gain that you get in the summertime offsets what you don't quite get in the winter time so that you can you know uh, get your credits from Amera. Mm. The, the the decision um, is an individual one, but you're making it a community one. Um, uh, Gary, we were talking earlier that um, there has been some research done that says if someone has solar in their neighborhood, they're more likely to um, put solar in. And, and that's been a lot of what A Climate to Thrive is about. When we set our goal of energy independence in 15 years, a lot of people thought, Wow, that's you know kind of out there. Mm-hmm. But um, what we knew a year and a half ago, and what we know even more now, is that all of the technology currently exists to make it possible for an island like Mount Desert to be energy independent. Even considering transportation, vehicles, all those things, as the um, as as the economy becomes um, more electrified with transportation, with heating, with all those things, um, you can actually get your power from the sun from other sources. And then um, we're finding that there's so much potential in energy savings that um, we can dramatically reduce the amount of power that we're using and then using the latest technologies to manage load um, against uh, you know, production. Um, you know, it's, it's very conceivable that, that we could be there in 15 years. Mm. And it, an island isn't necessary to, to do this. You're, you're using the metaphor and the reality of Mount Desert Island, but any group of communities could say, um, maybe this is for us. Um, they can create a, a boundary that they would say, Let's, within that boundary, we're going to create enough energy um, mm. to, to be um, net neutral. And I think that's really one of the most exciting things about our effort is that um, when we went into this, 
it was clear that solutions to climate change and to energy weren't going to be coming from Augusta. They weren't going to be coming from Washington. That's even more clear now. Mm. And so we were going to have to take that responsibility seriously at the local level. And, um, and, and so Climate to Thrive is meant to not only do that for MDI, but to inspire other communities to see that it's possible. And we're, we're, we're actually collaborating yeah. with, with communities across the state. Right. Mm. I'll just remind listeners, they're tuned to Talk of the Towns. We're talking about a climate to thrive with Joe Blotnick, who's coordinator of that effort on Mount Desert Island, and Gary Friedman, a town council member in Bar Harbor, and he's chair of the uh, uh, Climate to Thrive uh, board. Uh, tell us a little bit about Joe, did you have a Yeah, comment? I just wanted to add that a climate to thrive is like a magnet. We, with these six committees, we are attracted people that are interested in all kinds of things that relate to addressing climate change. For example, at the winter farmer's market, we did a, a survey in our newsletter and had 150 people or more respond to that and say, yes, we have summer farmer markets on Mount Desert Island, but people are – a lot of people are, are have gardens and all that and sometimes they don't go to those and there's so many tourists around, you know, and they're saying that a winter market would make a little bit more sense, you know, at – for them and a central location. And so we're, we're working on that kind of thing. We have, you know, people that have come to the transportation committee meeting and say, I'm building an electric lobster boat, mm. you know, and I wonder if we can work on this or small hydro or, you know, uh, recycling systems and, and all kinds of different things. We have, uh, we're working with somebody who builds biodigesters that, you know, take uh, food waste and generates electricity as well as compost for, uh, you know, fertilizing farm fields. So we're, we're kind of like a magnet. And we're, we're just drawing people in that want to pursue their own passion towards doing something that's right for the world and for the future. So the climate um, initiatives that you're envisioning are, are starting with people's interests. And and then exactly. you kind of gathered together in some working groups or committees. Right. Um, so in addition to the um, the food um, issue, the transportation issue, you've got um, what um, a policy group, a policy group. Yep. And so those are wonks, huh? Right. <laughs> the people who, who have no well, other thing that they they really want to change the policy. Well, the change has to happen on all different levels. It has okay. to happen on a personal level. It has to happen on a statewide level. And it, it's and got a, on a municipal community. level. Right. Yeah, on right. a municipal right. level. So what would, what would be some examples of the policy group? What are they working on particularly? Do you right. Know? Well, you know, a current one, of course, is the solar energy. You know, the, the legislature passed a solar bill uh, a couple of years ago and, and it got vetoed. And, and then the overturn of the veto just lost by a couple of, of votes. And so then when the PUC came out with a ruling that was not particularly pro-solar, uh, which is a very important thing to be pro-solar. Massachusetts is is growing so fast in solar jobs uh, that the idea of, of not continuing to provide incentives to uh, a, an industry that's providing 2% of all new job growth in, in the United States uh, and growing at about 25% a year practically uh, is kind of crazy. So that, that, that poly- there's some new legislation uh, that's being proposed by Representative Seth Barry of Bodenham to provide greater incentives for solar, not less. And policy committee is actively working on that. 
And you've got some, you, know, you have local legislators that you're working with, um, Brian Hubble, Brian sure. Langley. Yeah. So that Absolutely. they're they're kind of involved in, mm-hmm. in some of your discussions. Sure. Yeah. And were there, was there another committee? Um, the Zero Waste. Uh, tell us a little bit about what's happening in the Zero Waste um, Committee. G- Gary? Um, that's one of our more active committees. They're looking at uh, improving composting, um, providing opportunities for that. We just did a a bulk purchase of backyard compost bins, and about 50 of those were um, were purchased and will be distributed this spring. Um, and then uh, connecting people with local food, and, and the Winter Farmers Market is an outgrowth of that mm-hmm. committee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it seems like no matter where people want to enter the dialogue about climate change, you've got a place for them. Sure, yeah. yeah. And the whole idea of zero waste, which to some is a, a new concept, uh, is the idea that what we put in the win- landfill are resources that mm-hmm. we could be using. So food waste is an obvious one. That, mm-hmm. that turns right into compost. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and the other thing is, you know, we, we're going to be working on a plastic bag a, a bag ban and also looking at refilling stations for water. So you know, the 3 million visitors that bring water bottles, you know, disposable water bottles every day on the island, uh, you know, we don't need all that plastic to carry water around. We have really good water on Mount Desert Island, and, and uh, they can drink that with mm. using reusable things. Mm. So the Zero Waste Committee is tackling some of those issues. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you were to um, advise another community to to say, well, get started. Uh, this notion of doing everything at once is different than many groups who would say, oh, we're only going to tackle one thing at a time. What's been the, the secret sauce, Gary, to, to <laughs> say we're going to tackle all of it? We're going to try to, a holistic approach. Well, I think that um, I think you've got to start with, with a tangible success and then leverage that success for the next one. So that's been our strategy is is to start with something really visible. Um, uh, Vaughn Woodruff uh, once said at, at a presentation that, that solar is the gateway drug to energy efficiency. And so I kind of took that and, and, um, and got people excited about solar. It's very visible. And then, um, you know, once you get them engaged, you can uh, kind of channel people's interest in energy to um, what their passion might be. Mm. And and is it hard to keep all these kind of, I think of the Ed Sullivan um, thing where somebody's <laughs> spinning plates, right, and he's got one plate that's about to wobble, and you have to go over there and fix that that thing. Is that what it's like to, to help with all these committees? Absolutely. <laughs> and when I when I looked at this, this job, you know, I, I thought, you know, I, I've been working with corporations and, and nonprofits and all kinds of things. And the whole idea is you focus on mm, something sure, and sure. then you get something done. And when I looked at this with the six committees, I'm like, wow, energy independence by 2030 with all these six committees, how are you going to do that? And But now I, I see there's synergy that happens there. There's no doubt about it. And yes, my job has been getting overwhelming lately because they're all doing interesting things and the coordination is getting more complex. So we're looking at, we're raising money and we're, mm-hmm. you know, getting project managers. But I, I think the the other ingredient is, well, there's two things I'd like to say. The vision is really important. That vision of 2030, you know, when it started 15 years. Well, uh, Ken Colburn at the um, Seal Cove Auto Museum, when we had an electric vehicle symposium a couple weeks ago, showed a picture of New York City in 1900, and it was filled with horse and buggies. And then he showed a picture of 1915, 
and there were no horse and buggies. It was all automobiles. So if that transition happened in 15 years at the pace of technological change, we keep – I keep seeing – in myself and in others that come to our meetings that they're excited. They know this is going to happen within, you know, mm-hmm. this short time frame here because mm-hmm. the technological changes today happen so much faster. Mm-hmm. You said two things. Was there another thing? <laughs> there was another thing. <laughs> uh, and what was that? The, so the vision's really important. Um, you know, actually, that did slip my mind. Okay. So, so the synergy yeah. um, happens because someone – um, is p- part of the overall group. They start with solar, but then they hear about oh, there's a there's a, a food initiative, and they might get interested in that. And so I think you're touching so many different aspects of of one's daily life that it's it's easy to 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 get mm-hmm. involved. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing that that I really love about solar is that you make this big investment in solar panels. And then you start producing electricity, and then you notice like oh geez, you know um, maybe I could replace my oil burner with a heat pump, which is three times as efficient and is going to be running clean. So it's going to save me money. It's going to leverage my my system and, and the, it's going to increase the payback. Or in our case, we saw um, our system was producing more power than we had anticipated. So we thought, well, let's get a plug-in hybrid, mm. you know, and run our car off the sun. Mm. And, and so, you know, you get into transportation, into building efficiency, um, you know, into a lot of different areas. They're, they're all connected when it comes to uh, uh, energy independence. And then we're, I think we're, we're starting to get into areas that might be less obvious, like um, waste. You know, there is actually an, an energy cost to the things we throw out. Our town of Bar Harbor, our largest non-employee expense is on solid waste. And we're paying to haul our garbage 50 miles and then to tip it into the, the uh, Orrington incinerator. So, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's not only an expense, but it's, a, it's an energy cost that, um, that the town's incurring. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, go now to one of your partners. Um, Anna Demio is with College of Atlantic. She's the Director of Energy Education and Management there. Welcome to Talk of the Towns, Anna. Hi, Ron. How are you? I'm great. Um, thanks for being with us this morning. Um, tell us a little bit about um, your efforts at College of Atlantic and um, the, the group or the, the, um, the community energy center that has started there and how it's partnering with A Climate to Thrive. Sure. So Community Energy Center has been in the works for, oh, I'd say six or seven years uh, now, and we finally received the funding we needed to kick it off uh, last June. And it really serves two purposes. One is it's a way for us to uh, consistently plug our students into energy work in the community. Actually, as I'm talking to you now, I'm on a roof with students installing solar panels at Skip's Auto in Southwest Harbor. And uh, these are the kind of projects that uh, the Community Energy Center helps facilitate. And so the other purpose is to offer um, Community Energy Center as a resource for community members, businesses, municipalities as a way to um, get started on on energy work. So often the the barrier to entry is just really not knowing where to start and uh, how to get things going. So uh, we're there to offer some resources to people and also a way to uh, gather some of that important initial startup funding uh, for certain projects like, for example, in transportation, um, electric vehicle transportation. It's It's a hard one because it's a chicken and egg story between having the infrastructure for charging and having the electric vehicles. And so often it takes some 
outside capital to, to get the ball rolling, and we're, we're working on that effort as well. How did you get started with, with uh, Kits Auto? What, what was the, the path um, that they chose to start getting involved? Uh, so about 2010, we received a grant from Efficiency Main Trust to do a demonstration project at Beach Hill Farm, which is one of Seaway's uh, two organic farms. And that was a demonstration project that included uh, solar, uh, let's see, heat pumps, energy efficiency, biomass. And we offered a series of workshops over uh, about a six-month period where students and community members could come in and help us install some of the different projects. And then we did tours after that. And Skip had come up and worked with us on one of the solar projects, and he got uh, pretty enthused about the work. And so uh, that following year, he installed um, 20 panels on his shop in Southwest Harbor, and he was really happy with that and ended up expanding his business, putting on an addition and adding a car wash. And he approached us again this past year and said he'd like to add another uh, set of panels. So students in the practical and renewable energy class have been working with him all term. They they took solar data of his of his business as part of um we have a, a RETA grant to do solar analysis for thirty businesses in Maine and so he was one of them. And then they went on to um size the system for him, explain how much it would cost and give him different options both in terms of the types of panels, the number of panels and the configuration. And then we moved forward. We were very excited to receive the panels about a week and a half ago and now we have the racking up and as we speak the third panel just went on. <laughs> That's great. And so uh, these students are, are learning skills as well as an approach to uh, climate change. Um, these folks could probably go out and get a job with Revision Energy or one of the other 20 or so companies in Maine um, who are whose business is to, to install solar uh, panels. Absolutely. And we've had um, lots of great successes we can point to with uh, students who've graduated through the program who are now working in the solar industry. Um, not just as install- installers, but students who are working on um, community solar efforts on a policy side as well as a, a software engineering side. And I think, I think in addition to learning the skills, so certainly there are, there are some hands-on practical skills working using tools and installing solar. But really, what they learn is a system approach to solving problems and um, completing projects. So you start from A, you get to Z. And you have to figure out what's the best path there, taking into account everything from the economics to logistics, um, social interactions, uh, and, of course, the engineering and uh, materials piece of it. So it really is comprehensive. And and I think that students um, benefit no matter what what, um, path they take going forward. These are skills that are very applicable. And it seems like those are the skills that um, the future, the current and future employers uh, are going to be looking for, those kinds of of, um, problem-solving skills with a systematic approach. Absolutely, and critical thinking. And and I think a key is um, being able to work with uh, clients. So last term, taught a course called um, Approaches to Community Energy, where students worked with six different businesses, and from restaurants to B&B owners to markets and a, a hair salon, to understand what, what those businesses' needs were, what the reality was between um, kind of the idealism of wanting to do something good for the planet and the reality of, of how much money people had to spend and making decisions that, that helped them economically and were beneficial um, either, either to their business or to the environment. And I think it's just such a great... Um, reality check for students to understand all those those constraints that 
people to deal with every day. Mm. And you're not only working at the community level. Um, I know that you and your uh, colleagues at College of Atlantic are looking at your own energy use um, on campus. Um, if you could, just a, a, a short description of that effort. Uh, absolutely. So we have implemented um, TOA's energy framework. And what that is is it's an, um, a plan to move us away from fossil fuels um, by embedding that work right into our academic program, so right, right into the fabric of our, our COA community and beyond. So the idea is is um, we're going through each building, tightening up every building, and then replacing the um, heating source. We're looking at transportation. We're looking about, at travel. And we're doing this in small, medium, and large projects. And there's a role to play for students either as part of coursework, independent studies, senior projects, um, to help facilitate each part of the process. And the goal is to be fossil fuel free by 2030. Mm. So again, very similar um, uh, to the Climate to Thrive. What's the, for you, what's the, the interesting intersection between a Climate to Thrive and, and your work at the college? I think Climate to Thrive offers um, people a way to get um, involved at a community level. Um, they, they offer a wide uh, number of um, different projects they're working on, and they have a lot of opportunities for people to participate, which is great. We did a um, we did a workshop of sorts, uh, an electric vehicle workshop with Climate to Thrive and the Steel Cove Auto Museum, as a way of um, talking with the public about uh, electric vehicles and transportation, both the history, um, the present, and the future uh, efforts and um, status quo, really, of electric vehicles. So. Drive has been great in getting the word out and getting people excited about uh, the different opportunities out there for changing the way we, we use and generate uh, energy. Well, thanks so much, Anna, and we'll let you get back to um, watching your students or involving your students in, in actually putting solar panels on, on Skip's Auto in Southwest Harbor. Yeah, they're all they're all harnessed up, so I think we're in good shape. But thank you. Thanks. And, uh, take care. Thanks a lot, Anna. Anna Demio, who is um, at College of Atlantic, um, she's the um, d- director of the. Uh, com- she's not the director of the Community Energy Center, but there is one. I can tell you that. Um, Anna is the director of energy education and management at College of Atlantic. You're tuned to Talk of the Towns. You're, uh, we're talking about a climate to thrive, a window on alternative energy at the community level, and and uh, basically um, a goal of, of becoming energy independent by um, in 15 years, basically. Um, Gary Friedman is here. He's the chair of the uh, Climate to Thrive Advisory Board and a town council member in Bar Harbor. And Joe Blotnick is the coordinator for Climate to Thrive. We're opening up our phone lines now. So if you've got questions or comments based on your experience or your your puzzlement about how we tackle climate change um, at the community level, give us a call at 1-866-625-9378. That's 1-866-625-9378. Nine three seven eight. Um, so the 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 uh, efforts that you're making um, have both the policy Im- implications that we talked about mm-hmm. in terms of what um, government does, but also the the personal ones. Gary, as a as a town council member, um, you're you're known as a voice for these kinds of things. How has it been? Um, how have people accepted or questioned um, the role of the town of Bar Harbor in some of these efforts? Well, um, I'd say on the uh, energy side, it's been very positive. One of the um, the challenges to being a counselor is uh, 
maintaining the town's budget and trying to keep tax increases as low as possible. So um, by incorporating uh, energy efficiency and solar energy, we're able to um, to keep those costs down, or in the case of solar energy, those costs are locked in. They're fixed for the life of the system. So that takes some of the um, the roller coaster out of the, um, the budgeting process there. Um, I th- uh, another thing that, that we've been working on is is energy efficiency. And um, and that it, goes in, uh, back a little bit to that speaker from New Hampshire um, who was working at the municipal lever, level um, to, to say how practical is it to, to in, improve the energy efficiency of our buildings. So and, – and one of the things that he said that we should start by doing is to – assess the energy consumption of all of our buildings. So um, one of our projects now is we're, we're calling the uh, Energy Benchmarking Collaboration. It's through the League of Towns, the MDI League of Towns. All four towns on the island, uh, Cranberry Island, Swans Island, the uh, school system, and Acadia National Park are putting in 40 of their buildings uh, into this um, EPA Energy Star Portfolio Manager where we'll be tracking all the energy consumption in every one of those buildings. And we have a year of historical data, and then you'll be able to see in real time how much each building's using. Um, we're using a, a software uh, startup firm in, in Portland called Rapport to actually help us funnel that data into the system and then illustrate it on an online dashboard so you can go um, and, and see what the consumption is of those buildings and compare it to other buildings that are in that uh, EPA portfolio manager system. From there, we can determine where the the big holes might be that we could most cost-effectively plug and then um, looking to institute energy efficiency members uh, measures in each of those instances. So um, this is a way to involve uh, citizens and and students. And, And picking up on what Anna was talking about, Getting our young people involved is just so important. And um, toward that end, we've been working with seventh seventh graders at the Connors Emerson um, Middle School in Bar Harbor. And uh, we're just starting this summer our uh, first internship program for MDI high school juniors and seniors. And um, we'll uh, be providing uh, grant-funded stipends for two uh, students this summer in a pilot program. Uh, and a, a mentor teacher to help guide them along with with Joe here and and they 'll have the opportunity to work on a project of their choosing as well as one of a climate to thrive 's ongoing projects mm-hmm. so um, we're we 're excited about the interest that we 've seen from young people and um, and they want to make uh, a difference in our community and and we 're providing tangible opportunities mm-hmm. to do that. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. If you'd like to participate, we do have Catherine from Appleton on the line. Welcome to Talk of the Towns, Catherine. Yes, yes. Good morning. Um, I'm addressing your. I don't know who am I addressing about this. Who's been talking? <laughs> oh, that was Gary Friedman, who's oh. a town council member in the town of Bar Harbor. Okay. Hi, Gary. Um, have you ever heard of the term geoengineering? Sure. Okay. Well, the Cambridge. For people that may not have heard of it, uh, the Cambridge Dictionary gives it as the use of scientific methods to artificially, artificially control the environment, particularly in the world's temperature, in order to deal with the problem of climate change. That's one, you know, I, I believe it's way more than that, but that's what they're saying. I have obs- I've been observing planes 
Um, and they are called chemtrails to a lot of people um, since 1998 over our skies. And it's usually before low. And then the, uh, the trails, they're not contrails, because contrails really dissipate within seconds. These things stay out, they spread out, and all of a sudden we have an overcast sky. So on TED Talks, which I'm sure most people have heard of TED Talks, it means technology, uh, TED, environment and design. And you can go on um, YouTube and hear a lot of the talks or go to tedtalks.com. And recently, they had um, a scientist on TED Talks talking about um, chemtrails and how she was very concerned with the use of them. I even called our governor's office about three years ago and said, do we have any jurisdiction over our skies? And they said no. So um, I guess we are all painfully aware of this um, geoengineered weather that we're having right now. Um, Everything is open, waiting to get pollinated. Nothing is getting pollinated. The bees aren't coming out. Uh, so I would like to know, really, what is the future of solar, really, considering that they are now, they are now admitting to geoengineering. And for people that want to find out more about it, go to geoengineering.org. Uh, I believe WRU had Dana Wiggins on a few years back talking about it. Catherine, thanks so much for your call this okay, morning. Okay, so my question is, you know, what's the solar thing? Okay, okay great. We'll, we'll we'll get an answer to that. one 625 9378 I think the question is, um, is there potential for solar? I think... Um, what 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 would you say to people who who might not be familiar with some of the things that you've been um, seeing happen in the solar industry? Well, I think that that um, solar energy is one of the most promising uh, solutions to all of the transportation issues that we're having because um, they're even talking about uh, solar powered, you know, battery powered airplanes in the future and, and experimental planes are under development now that's you know a long ways off before sure. it's commercially viable but um you know there are uh you know certainly ground transportation can all be powered from uh battery powered vehicles that that are powered from the sun and um uh it's i think one of the um one of the real eye-opening things for us was when the coa student wade lyman did the the um solar potential of the island you know, people were saying, is it really possible to run an economy off the sun? And Wade found that by analyzing every roof on the island, that if we just put solar panels on the buildings that had viable photovoltaic potential, we could provide 85% of MDI's energy consumption at peak load when the sun's shining. Mm. Now, you know, of course, that's just when the sun's shining, right? But what that told us was that um, in looking at that more closely, um, even on an island like MDI, where most of the lands in National Park are tied up in, in conservation, that just a few hundred acres of solar panels could power the whole island's current needs. Now, we're going to need more than that to electrify vehicles um, and, uh, you know, and, and heating and things like that. But, um, you know, uh, the sky's the limit in terms of <laughs> Of alternative energy, and and you know, the Joe is talking about one of our um, energy committee members who's involved in creating uh, uh, biogas from from food waste, and you know, you could conceivably run airplanes off of um, 
off of f- food waste that's that's been digested and turned into um, fuels f- to burn for transportation. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight or four six nine zero five zero zero to talk with our guests Joe Blotnick and Gary Friedman, both talking about a climate to thrive and their efforts to make um, Mount Desert Island energy independent by twenty thirty. Um, Joe, uh, where would you want to take this conversation? What else that were you hoping to cover that we haven't well, yet? Well, one, I wanted to get back to that community. You know, what advice do we have for other sure. communities? Sure. And that is that there are many, many people in your community that are very interested in these things. We This has not been a difficult job to get people of Mount Desert Island interested in all the things that they can do to address climate change. This is on everybody's mind right now. And I mean, just as an example of that, our mailing list grew from a couple hundred last fall to uh, about a thousand on an island of ten thousand five hundred. That's you know mm. that's reaching a big percentage of of the people. And so people do care about this issue, and they will come out of the woodwork. And we've been getting calls from Belfast, and Gary spoke in Belfast the other day. They're interested in possibly doing something like we're doing. We've been getting calls from the Outer Islands. Uh, and so it's it's one of those things. If you build it, they will come. Mm. You mentioned um, you, you Climate to Thrive was part of the sponsorship of the recent Climate March in Bar Harbor, um, and you mentioned a, a high school student who spoke. Uh, just recap that little. Right. That and I'm, I'm sorry I don't have his name, mm. but there were a number of speakers at the Climate March, and we had about 600 people there uh, in Bar Harbor on that day. And of all the speakers, the, the ones that got me the most were the kids. They were young kids in, in elementary school. There's a homeschooler there. But there was a high school student that spoke about what it's like growing up in a world where you constantly hear that we're losing species, we're losing ecosystems, everything's degrading and everything. And it was a passionate you know, talk that really hit to why I'm here, why Gary's here, why all of our volunteers are here. We're we're working on the future. We're working on creating a future that will work for our children, our grandchildren, and theirs. And and it th- seemed to me that that yeah. that um, young man was was saying, "Here's my response to the despair." that I see, I have an opportunity to get involved in something. Yeah, I do. And that's what you're telling other citizens, that right. this is not, um, it is it is gloomy to think about some of the statistics, but it's also very exciting yeah. to look at some of the o- other statistics, right. Gary. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that that's what a Climate to Thrive offers is um, we're facilitators and helping people to take their passion or, or their interest um, and and get things done. That's really what we're about. So, um, you know, doubling the amount of installed photovoltaics, putting in a second community solar farm, um, you know, all these projects are starting to um, uh, get legs and – um, you know, we're going to start to see some real progress there. You've mentioned the the, the possibility of, of installing uh, um, uh, charging stations. Um, where does is that coming out of your transportation um, committee? Or? Well, I have to give credit to the the town of Mount Desert Selectmen established a sustainability committee there um, about two or three years ago, and um, we've become uh, you know collaborators really on a lot of levels. Uh, that sustainability committee has been looking at a number of things, um, including a conversion of all the streetlights in the town of Mount Desert to LEDs, which use a fraction of the energy and provide better lighting. And um, another thing that the sustainability committee is doing is putting in 
electric vehicle charging stations. They're going to start with one down at the um, marina and one on Main Street in Northeast Harbor. And uh, Climate to Thrive is going to be looking at collaboration with the National Park Service to see if we can't begin to get EV charging stations at um, at frequently used uh, parking lots where people leave their cars for periods of time in the park. And that LED light um, issue um, has tr- attracted attention from other communities. So the notion that we can save money <laughs> in, in, our, in our energy bills and do something good for the environment um, finds a ready audience. Well, I can say from the town of Bar Harbor's standpoint, we're just waiting for Mount Desert to put their LED streetlights in. They would be the first town in, in Amera territory, the, our, our utility here, to, uh, to actually do that conversion. And um, it's not completely straightforward. There's a few uh, you know, learning hurdles that need to be overcome. But there's been great enthusiasm on the part of my fellow counselors to, uh, con- to do the same conversion in, in Bar Harbor. 1-866-625-9378 as we talk about a climate to thrive here on Talk of the Towns. Joe? Yeah. Along the lines of LEDs, which save about 80% over energy over traditional light bulbs and also last far longer, um, we did a program where we uh, were able to purchase LED bulbs and gave out 2,500 LED bulbs to about 500 families. And uh, again, that's kind of a gateway drug, mm-hmm. <laughs> back mm-hmm. to that theme, um, because once people recognize that, wow, these new LED bulbs actually come in great lighting, you know, contrast in, in the indoor environment and outdoor, and they save so much and they're going to last longer. Uh, and that's going to get them looking at all the other things that they can do. Mm-hmm. And what's, what's really cool about LED bulbs, I have to say, a 60-watt <laughs> equivalent – um, depending on you know where your electricity comes from, so and it varies in Maine, depending whether we're using like more hydropower or right. less. But um, one bulb can save about a hundred pounds of carbon dioxide from entering into the atmosphere every year. So you know multiply that by the twenty five hundred, and then you know those last twenty five years. So um, one of the things that we're we're thinking of of doing with the uh, high school interns is is continuing the uh, LED light bulb exchange because that's that's a, a really big way to, to cut on uh, carbon dioxide emissions and to save local mm-hmm. energy dollars. Mm-hmm. Great. Let's take a call from Mark in Sullivan. He called one 625 9378 to be with us here on Talk of the Towns. Mark, go ahead. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I went down to the Augusta last Thursday a week ago to the, um, to the solar um, energy uh, uh, um, protest and um, and uh, a bill is proposed to allow net metering in Maine. And net metering seems to me to be a real key for getting solar up and down the coast of Maine and inland on homes and everything. And we're not getting much help from the governor and probably the stockholders who own Amira Maine and also Central Maine Power. So we really need to get political on this. How about some suggestions? And ways to organize. I'd appreciate that. Thanks. Great. Thanks, Mark, for your call. Gary? Well, um, contact your state representative and Brian Hubble is your state senator. Brian Langley is your state senator. Um, Brian has not uh, decided where he is on this bill yet, um, and we're hoping that he'll come around to see the the benefits of solar. Our representative, Brian Hubble in Bar Harbor, 
is one of the um, sponsors of the legislation in the last session. So we know that he's on board. But um, I'd suggest uh, giving Brian Langley a call. Um, it's going to be really important to have a veto-proof majority in both the House and the Senate to uh, pass that bill. Just so that um, listeners who might not be aware, what is net metering, Gary? Net metering is when you're tied to the grid and when you're producing more power than you're consuming on site, it's fed into the grid and basically is uh, powering your neighbors. And then um, at night or when the sun's not shining so brightly and you need more power, um, you're able to draw from the grid. So in, a, in effect, the grid is your battery. And, and the way it actually works is that you um, uh, accumulate those, those kilowatt hours on your bill when you have excess, and then Amera credits those back to you um, in, in future months. Yes, we have Catherine back on the line. Go ahead, Catherine, with your question, briefly, if you could. Yes, Gary, um, I called in before and was talking about geoengineering. You said you were familiar with it. So I would like you to make a comment. I understand that it's, it's going to retard, you know, the solar capacity that we can get. And the other thing is I want to just give a heads up. There is talk in the legislature, I believe, about charging $350 for a permit for an electrical, electric vehicle every year because they're not getting enough gas and taxes from these people. So please address the geoengineering for me. Thank you. Well, um... I think you know geoengineering is is essentially uh, trying to manipulate the climate, and it's it's typically used in the context of um, various methods that could reduce the global warming that that we're seeing, and that's really I think beyond the scope of what we're talking about today. To be honest with you, other than you know in the sense that that everything we're doing is trying to uh, uh, reduce the need for for extreme measures like geoengineering. So and then the the question of of, of charging for uh, solar oh, vehicles. Oh well, that's the governor's proposal, and of course, uh, Governor LePage has been very clear that he's anti-solar. He wants to see you know natural gas or or um, hydro Quebec power coming in because he believes that you know, that's what's necessary to reduce the price of of uh, uh, you know, base load power to. Uh, to run main industry, um, we think he's wrong that he's using you know outdated models and and outdated thinking. So um, you know we're hoping that the legislature, even though there's you know proposals for for charging for electric vehicles and hybrids, that those uh, are defeated soundly. We have one more call. We can f- squeeze in. Chris, go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hi, I might be a little naive about this, but I know that uh, a big hurdle the solar industry faces is centralized control of the power grid and i was wondering if there's any way that like a company could come in and like basically create a solar power company that would own the equipment and could just put roofs on all the viable rooftops in the state and like create basically a solar power company where like you know homeowners would be like yeah go ahead and put solar panels up on my roof and and then just ties the grid and then i don't know seems like it would I don't know if the numbers add up, but anyway, that's my question. Great. Thanks very much, Chris. I I think what you're really talking about, Chris, is a microgrid. And um, where you know, and this has been tried in uh, New York State, where they have more progressive uh, energy policy. But um, you know, basically, you're you're sharing the power with your neighbors, 
um, in a limited geographic sense and um, you know using batteries or cars and and load management to be able to um, to actually be energy independent through that microgrid we're uh, we're very excited about being on MDI which could actually become a model microgrid because we have one power line coming onto the island and it's actually nearing capacity so um, uh, we're actually in discussion with Amira to see if, if we might be able to uh, explore that kind of option. One last um, comment from each of you. First of all, Joe, how do you get in touch with the Climate to Thrive? And then uh, both of you, what are your, uh, shortly, briefly, what are your hopes for the future of this effort? Sure. The best way to get in touch with the Climate to Thrive is to go to the website at www.aclimatetothrive.org. And there, uh, sign up for our monthly newsletter. We, we put a lot of information out about what's going on on the island. Uh, and certainly we're open to other communities' uh, interest in, in doing these k- kinds of things. My hope for the future is that we are able to continue to be even more action and project-oriented than we've been. Right. Gary, your hope? I, well, just that people see that actually the power is in our hands and that when we do things like either um, put solar panels on our roofs or reduce the amount of power that we're consuming, we're actually taking our energy dollars, our, our power into our own hands to shape larger policy and, and the future of our world. Great. We've come to that time when I want to remind you that this uh, program was produced with support from um, Talk of the Towns um, and WERU. Be sure to join us on the uh, second Friday of each month from 10 to 11. Podcasts of our programs can be found in the archive section of the WERU website. If you've got comments or suggestions for topics, please email us at news at weru.org. Our theme music is a medley from Coronac on a Belmain House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our guests in the studio, Joe Blotnick, coordinator, and Gary Friedman, chair of the advisory board for A Climate to Thrive. Thanks also to Anna Demio of College of the Atlantic. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program. And stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. Support for WERU comes from our listeners 